0: Welcome to Kingdom Currents, I'm Glenn Schultz, your host, and today I want to talk to you about a dangerous change that has taken place in education over the past hundred years, so stay tuned. My dissertation at the University of Virginia was a study of the religious beliefs and practices of Christian school graduates. This study was conducted in the early 1990s, and one of the main theses behind this study was that throughout the history of American education, there was always an emphasis on the teaching of moral values when it came to schooling children. The education of children was not just about gaining more and more knowledge. Instead, it was uh, focused on developing strong godly character in men and women. As I studied the literature to prepare my dissertation, I discovered that the primary reason the early settlers of our country wanted their children to become literate was to ensure that they would be able to read and understand the Bible. If you go to the Massachusetts School Act of 1647 and the Connecticut Code of 1650, you find that it clearly stated that the chief project of Satan, in their words, was to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures. Because of this, parents believed that their children needed to be able to read God's word and know how it applied to all of life. Education that taught not only moral values, but moral values based on God's word, was actually considered an absolute necessity by our founding fathers. Just one example would be Thomas Jefferson, and he made this clear when he wrote the following. We have staked the whole future of the American civilization, not upon the power of the government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. You see, the gospel and biblical morality were foundation stones for the education that was given to children and youth when our nation was founded, and it remained the top priority for probably the first 100 years of our history. However, over time, the purpose of educating future generations began to change. There was a move towards seeing formal schooling as an academic endeavor more than a spiritual and moral moral development process. When the schooling of children was taken out of the home and church and became the responsibility of the state, this change became more and more evident. As the shift away from teaching biblical morality increased, the need for Christian schools then became more important to parents and church leaders at the time. My research made it clear that students' moral development was one of the primary things that drove Christian schools to start when they first were established here in America. Uh, Parsons was one historian who found this to be true, which led him to write the following. Without exception, it implies that more than academics is taught here, that the teaching of a lifestyle is in progress as well. The Christian school movement considers its primary mission to be the teaching of a lifestyle during the impressionable growing up years. I can remember very clearly when I left public education and began my career in Christian schools. There was a saying that was regularly repeated by the leaders of the Christian school movement at the time, and it was a very simple statement. It it simply said this, character before career. In other words, there was a driving conviction among the early Christian school educators here in the country that developing godly character in young people was far more important than preparing them for a career in the workplace. Unfortunately, I do not find this uh, to still be the case in a growing majority of Christian schools today. Over the past couple of years, I have wrestled with a change uh, that I was witnessing in schooling, Christian schooling specifically, but I, I wasn't able to explain it clearly. I knew something had changed and was changing, but what was that change? Well, I recently read a social media post by Jeremy Wayne Tate. He was referencing a popular topic in education today called classical education. In his post, he noted that people often refer to classical education without defining it. So he wanted to do it. So in his effort to distinguish what he meant by classical education, he contrasted it to what he believes to be the goal of what he referred to as modern education. The first difference between these two types of schooling was that classical education, according to Tate, wanted to cultivate four cardinal virtues and three theological goals, while the goal of modern education was just college and career readiness. Tate explained that classical education aimed at passing down wisdom and prioritizes a a comprehensive approach where all subjects are connected by a unifying, quote-unquote, whole truth. In contrast, he noted that modern education often teaches subjects in isolation from one another. When I read that, I almost shouted, that's it. That's the change that I have seen taking place over in education over the past century or so. Secular education has emphasized the importance of children and youth being ready or prepared for college, which in turn will prepare them for a career as being paramount of importance." In doing this, they didn't have to really attack biblical morality as being evil. They simply ignored it as being unimportant. It was much more important for young people to be prepared for a career than to simply make them good moral citizens. As I contemplated this, my mind went back once again to my doctoral work at UVA. One of the areas of concentration in my studies was on American higher education, When it came time to take my comprehensive exams, I I met with one of my doctoral team members who was responsible for giving me the comprehensive exam for this area of study in this concentration on higher education. Dr. Wagoner at the time asked me what courses I had taken that dealt with the higher education area. I listed them, they included the college student, the college curriculum, the college presidency, leadership and management in higher education, and of course, the history of American higher education. Well, Dr. Wagner ended up just giving me one question, and that was gonna be my complete uh, comprehensive exam for that area. Here, Here was the question. Name what I believe to be the most significant event in the history of American higher education and explain the impact of that event on all the other courses I had taken in this area. When I think about it, I now believe that my answer back then played a key role in this dangerous change in education that I'm addressing here on today's episode of Kingdom Currents. See, I believe that the most significant change in the history of higher education was the adoption of what was referred to as the Harvard elective system. Before Harvard initiated an elective system, there were certain courses and practices that were considered essential And all students were required to take them regardless of where they went to college. Many of these required courses were in the disciplines of philosophy and religion. In my research, I also learned that most college and universities that were started in our country not only required all students to be well-versed in religion, which was Christianity at the time, and philosophy, especially moral philosophy, but they were also required to attend activities such as regular chapel services the elective system of choosing one's college courses was based on a new concept that one of the most important aspects of a person's education was the opportunity and ability for a person to choose his or her own course of study. Now, this meant the death knell to any set of required subjects for all students. Uh, Of course, the courses that were first to be considered non-essential had to do with religion and philosophy. As more and more students abandoned these areas of study, secular education was deemed to be spiritually neutral and would just focus on facts, never on faith and values. Of course, we know now that this is impossible to do. However, colleges and universities would eventually become places where young people would attend simply to go and be prepared for today's workplace— A college degree did not guarantee that you would become a a moral individual, but it would land you a well-paying job and you would then be able to follow the American dream. I still remember that when I graduated from high school, the number of my classmates that went on to college was still relatively small. But as the emphasis on being career-ready increased in K-12 education, it was deemed absolutely necessary for every young person to go to college. As society stressed the importance of being ready for college, the focus on academic knowledge that was deemed important to college acceptance became the top priority of K-12 schooling. Parents also saw preparation for college to be the single most important goal for the education that they were giving their children. Moral and spiritual development would be something that was done at home and church, but what was really important, these kids had to be able to get to college. This shift in emphasis has gradually crept into Christian schools. Christian schools, of course, still stress the importance of developing godly character in their students. However, the importance of academic excellence in an effort to be college and career prepared uh, has increased significantly over the years. Over the past several uh, decades, Christian schools have faced growing pressure from parents to not only, quote-unquote, keep up, but also quote-unquote, surpass secular schools, both public and private, in making sure that their children will get into good colleges and universities. It is easy to see that college and career readiness is what is most important to parents when you just hear the questions they ask when considering a Christian school for their children. If you're an administrator at a Christian school, you'll often hear a parent ask, well, is your school accredited? Or "Are, are your teachers certified? Uh, do, you, do you offer college prep uh, courses, honors classes, dual credit classes, uh, or how many of your graduates go to college, or, or will my child be accepted at such and such, and you just name the university? See, with society stressing the importance of economic prosperity and the pressure from parents to prepare their children for college— Christian school leaders have, have, been, have made academic and technical, athletic, even fine arts excellence their primary focus in too many cases. Now, please don't take me wrong. I believe that most, if not all, Christian school educators still want their students to become godly men and women. I also believe that most parents who enroll their kids in Christian schools, they, they like the safety and the quote-unquote Christian environment that their children would experience if they went to a Christian school. But I have seen a shift from character before career to career, and yes, it would be nice to have good character also. I, I think I know what some of you might be thinking in listening to this. Why does it have to be either or? Can it be both? Now, now I've heard this statement and these questions repeated to me over the past several years, more than I can remember. And I agree, it can be both. However, what I believe we need to do if we're going to make disciples out of the next generation is to make sure we have our priorities in order. We can't get the cart before the horse. What I see happening is we say we are doing both, but in reality, college and career readiness is the thing that has the highest priority. As long as this remains the order of importance, spiritual and moral development will simply be a hopeful byproduct in the lives of our students. It seems like as long as our students still outperform students from secular institutions and some of them start exhibiting a vibrant faith in their life, well, we're satisfied. If you think about it, we are almost three-quarters of the way through another school year. I wonder what we would find if we went into our Christian schools and we surveyed our teachers and coaches, especially in the middle and upper grades, and we asked them some questions like these. What are the two most important goals you have for your students or or your players? Or, what percentage of your students do you believe are born again? And we gave them some options, like 75% or more, 50 to 75%, under 50%, or I really don't know. A question like this would be interesting to hear the responses from teachers. Have you shared the gospel with any of your students this year? If so, how often? See, if we believe in kingdom education— then our students' salvation and discipleship should be every teacher's, every coach's, every sponsor's two most important goals. By this time of the school year, teachers should have some idea of which students are born again and which ones are not. And knowing that some or maybe most of their students are not saved, the gospel should be central to their teaching and coaching. I recently asked some teachers at a Christian school these questions, and most of them said that they did not really know which students were born again. Many of them said they had not had an opportunity to share the gospel with any of their students. And what we've got to understand is, if that is so important, if, if academics isn't the, the most important thing, and, and we, we say, well, what good is having a college degree if we die without knowing Christ as our Savior? We, we say those things, but if we have no idea of who's saved and who's not saved, and we never share the gospel with any of our students, is that really a high priority? What about when you look at your staff development programs at your Christian school? What percentage of the training is an equipping teachers to be more competent so that students would be college and career ready versus how to help students in their spiritual and moral development. What are we doing in our Christian schools to help parents understand that their most important responsibility is to make disciples of their own children? And how are you equipping them at your Christian school for this God-given task? If we were to go and really be honest and ask ourselves this question. Do you see your school as a college prep or a kingdom prep school? And what's the difference between the two? It would be interesting to see what kind of responses we get. Or do you believe that it is God's will that every single student who comes to your school attend college And we would say, well, no, no, we we don't believe that. But then the follow-up question is, does your school's educational program support your answer? I understand asking and honestly answering these types of questions may be painful. But we must do so if we're going to build kingdom-focused schools in which God will raise up a generation of young people who know, love, and serve Him. I want to close this episode with the words of Oswald Chambers. I read these, uh, and there's a challenge that he gave a group of young people that he was addressing when they were graduating from this school. Listen to what he said One student a year who hears God's call would be sufficient for God to have called this school into existence. This school as an organization is not worth anything. It is not academic. It is for nothing else but for God to help himself to our lives. Is he going to help himself to us, or are we taken up with the conception of what we're going to be or the ambitions and goals we have for them? If God wanted to help himself to the children and students in your home or in your school. Have you prepared them in such a way that they would actually hear his call? Or are they merely college and career ready?